Good morning. Thank you, thank you. All right. Well, I am um, excited. It's not even a good word for, for how I feel at the moment. Um, Miss Debbie, huh, you're about to see. <laughs> you're about to see. Um, you know, the Lord has been good to me this week. Um, here we are on Palm Sunday, and you know I, I've shared with you guys. I grew up in a very um, traditional church where um, liturgy was a big part of what we did, and so it was, you know, it was never a surprise when Palm Sunday and Easter were coming around. Which it's not. I mean, it, we're in the season of that. But I have found, you know, over the last um, decade or so, being in the Baptist church, there's not as much liturgy, and so sometimes it kind of it surprises me uh, that things roll around as quickly as they do. Um, but here's the thing. Today's Palm Sunday, and the Lord wants to speak to us some specific things about Palm Sunday, but, but also we're, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, and I love the way the Lord orchestrates things, but here's what I need to do. I need us to pray for just a minute, because um, the Lord has spoken so much today, it is a jumble in my head, not in a bad way, but it's like, what do I say first, and what do I not say? So if, please pray with me um, before we get going this morning, and, and then we're going to dive into what the Lord's been speaking. Holy Spirit, I am completely dependent upon you this morning to make sense of all of the goodness that you have spoken to me this week. Father, it is um, my heart's desire, it is my prayer for my brothers and sisters that, um, that the words that come from my mouth would not be from will, but they would be from you, Father. So God, I'm asking that, that you would allow me this morning to be present in the moment, to be sensitive to your spirit, and that the things that, would, that you would say through me, Father, that they would make sense in the minds of our body. Father, that we would be um, encouraged, that we would be challenged by your word today. Father, open our hearts and our minds to experience you as we, as we study your word this morning, Father. Give us a fresh word and a, a fresh challenge, a desire that is motivated by love for you. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Um, so, We've been in Hebrews chapter 2 for a couple of weeks now, and, and we started with this idea from Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Um, it says this, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. We talked about on our first Sunday in that passage that, that we feel this tension in life often that tempts us to turn away from God because we don't like tension. It's not comfortable. It's not something that we enjoy. And then last week we talked about how there is truth in our lives that we cannot ignore. And thank you again, Miss Debbie, for that testimony this morning. It, it is perfect for today. Um, there is, this week, uh, there are a lot of things that have gone on in my life, some of which I'll share today and, and many that I will not. Um, but I, I want to share this quote this morning with you. Um, and this was not something I had planned to share, but, but based on what Miss Debbie just shared, um, I feel like this is a word for us. And, and I thought, obviously, of Mickey this morning, um, obvious to me, maybe not to you, as I, this was from um, the 27th, whatever day that was, that was yesterday. Um, this was in one of the commentaries that I read. It says, faith is the opposite of doubting in our heart. Faith is also the opposite of fear. It is a choice to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary and expect from him what we cannot expect from anything else. In the world. So today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4. And we're going to look at the second kind of reason why the author of Hebrews is encouraging the church. He's giving this warning not to drift away. 
this weekend, um, um, my, my in-laws have a garden. Last year, we, we tilled it up for them. I own a tiller. They do not. And so that's the natural course of things. Um, and I've had this tiller for a while. It's a good tiller. Um, but last year, um, in working on it, I messed up the carburetor, and so that needed to be replaced. So knowing that, that it was time to till, I ordered a carburetor, and I put the new carburetor on there, and it cranked right up and was running pretty good, but something just didn't seem quite right. Um, and I'm, let me just pre- preface this with I am not a mechanic. Um, you've heard me say before, I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I know just enough to get myself into trouble when it comes to working on stuff, especially small engines. Um, and so the tiller's running, and, and I, I, I tried it a little bit in our garden before I brought it to my in-laws, and it was working okay, but it just, you know how sometimes you'll use something and it just isn't quite the way, it's not working the way you think it should. And so I, I was looking at the carburetor, and there's a thing on there called a governor spring, and it seemed kind of loose. I said, well, that's probably what the issue is. So I ordered a new one, and it came in. And I put the governor spring on there, and it's, yeah, it's running a little better. Tested it in the garden. It was, it was working okay. And so I thought, yeah, we're good to go. So Friday afternoon, I get home from work. We load up the tiller. We go to my in-laws, and I try tilling their garden, and it just, the tines just won't turn. And so I thought, okay, well... Um, I've had this thing for a decade. I bought it used. There's a transmission in it that's got gears. That mu- there must be dirt or something in there that's causing that to not spin well. And so I worked on that tiller. I, we got home and uh, I worked on it till about 10, 1030 that night. I completely disassembled the transmission and opened it up and it looked brand new inside of there. The grease had gotten kind of hard and was pushed to the outsides, but there was no dirt. I mean, it was perfectly spotless. And so I I take all the grease out, I put new grease in, and I assemble it all back together, and it worked, and I had all the pieces, that was a big deal for me. Um, And so I tested in our garden, and it seems to be working. Okay, great. So I go over to my in-laws Saturday morning. Now their garden is not big, guys, it's like, literally like this wide and from me to the wall, maybe a little wider. It's not not a big garden, it should only take an hour or so. And I get there, and, and it's just still not, I mean, it's working, but it's just, it's taking forever. Um, now their ground, their ground is hard. There's a lot of clay in it, but, um, it finally dawns on me that, you know, the belt may be worn out from last year. It's driven by a belt. And, and so that's in my mind, but I'm still, it's kind of working. Well, we get to another row in the garden. I've done like one in an hour and I get to the second row, which is way longer than it should take, by the way. And I get to the second row and it just stops working. And so I said, well, the only thing I haven't fixed is the belt. So my father and I load up, we go to town, we get a new belt, and I put the new belt on there. And guess what? It worked perfectly. Okay, here's the point. Is that sometimes in trying to figure out the problems in our life, we don't go to the most obvious things. I'm working on carburetors and governor springs and disassembling and reassembling transmissions, and it just needed a new belt. Okay? Look, I'm not... I'm not alone in that. You have similar experiences. Maybe you've had that experience with a lawnmower before where you pull it out for the first time in the spring and you crank it up and it's just not quite working the way that it should. I I was thinking of uh, when I was a kid, um, it was my responsibility to mow the grass. We had a riding mower because my parents have a big yard. Uh, And so I always just did it. Well, one day my, my sister came out and said, hey, can I mow for a little while? I'm like, yeah. I said, do you know how to do it? She says, yes. I said, okay. And so I go in the house, I hear the lawnmower crank up. And, and not just, a, I, I get in the door and close it and something doesn't sound right. And I look out and she has mowed a strip to the dirt. I'm not exact, I'm not saying the grass was short. It was 
dirt. And the, th- the whole lawnmower and just going nuts. And I, whoa, stop, stop, stop. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I always see I'll put the deck down. I was like, yeah, but not all the way. <laughs> she said, well, I, I knew something didn't sound right. Or, or maybe um, when you've had a child or a pet that's sick and you're not quite sure what's going on. My, my, um, my dad has cows, you guys know that, and he had a couple that he pulled forward um, for show animals. And in the evenings when, when Bethany and I would go out to the barn, she would always say, those cows are wheezing when they're breathing. I'm like, yeah, they are, but they're not my cows. They're my dad's cows, and I have enough things going on in my life. And so I would say, hey, dad, something's up with the cows. They sound weird when they're breathing. Well, he didn't really seem to care uh, or worry about it all. Not that he just thinks that we're overreactive sometimes. And so nothing changed. A week goes by, the cows are still wheezing. So I said something to my older sister, because it's her daughter that's showing the cows. And she says, okay, we'll check into it. Well, another week goes by and the cows are still wheezing. And we're thinking, take them to the vet. There's a lung infection. You know, our brains are going through all of these things that could possibly be wrong. And a few days later, I went out to the barn. My dad's out there. He said, I figured out what was wrong with the cows. And I said, what was wrong with the cows? He said, their halters were on too tight. It was clamping their nose down. They couldn't breathe. We didn't look at the obvious thing (laughs) at first. That's a pattern that we have in our lives. Somebody was telling me um, yesterday that that doctors are trained when they're going through medical school. You know, to be a doctor for me would be overwhelming because there's a million things that could be wrong with somebody. And one of the things they teach them is that when you hear hooves, don't assume it's a zebra. Assume it's a a horse because that's much more common, right? They're taught to look at the obvious first. And to exclude those things and then drill down to figure out what's going on. So for me, in, in my life with the tiller, I didn't look at the most obvious thing first. I looked at the most difficult thing first, which, Debbie, is the testimony that you shared this morning, is that often we think, I have to fix everything right now. And God's saying, no, let's just work on this most obvious thing first. With my dad's cows, they're wheezing not because they're sick, but because the halter was too tight. Look, often when life gets tough, what we need to do when we're looking at the truth that Jesus is speaking in our lives is we need to start with the most obvious. It's obvious because he's highlighting it to us, right? That's why it's standing out. The author of the book of Hebrews is writing to the church to encourage them to keep the faith. And as we look at verse 4 today, as I've read this verse, as I've been in it all week, I'm thinking to myself, For me, the reason why this should be the most obvious. Why start with the angels instead of starting with Jesus? Read verse 4 with me. He says, At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to His will. Listen, the works of Jesus were the proof That he was the Messiah. That's why he did those things. He was setting himself apart from everybody else. And the author, the way he's saying this, this is common knowledge. It's not like he was saying that Jesus did these miraculous signs and wonders and people are going, really? What did he do? When he's calling that out, they're remembering. They're remembering the stories. Remember, we've already talked about that they are remembering the things that they have seen and that they have heard from eyewitness testimonies. This passage, church, was written to people who chose to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is a key point. 
They had heard the testimony of the believers. They had heard the testimony of the apostles. And they chose to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But they were forgetting the most obvious reason for their choice to believe in Jesus. The author is not giving a warning to those who have rejected the gospel, right? That's a different group of people. He is addressing those that chose to believe and then also were choosing to ignore what God was saying. Follow me. These were people who had chosen, who had left their families, their livelihoods, their status in society to follow this Messiah. And now, because of tension in their life, because of the abrasion of other people around them, are tempted to walk away from what they chose to believe. Listen, we cannot say that we are believers and ignore the truth of the gospel. We must live in light of the truth. We must live as if we believe what we say we believe. This morning, we read um, of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the response of the people as he rode in on the colt. I wanted to to share this with you this morning because this is something that the Lord did for me this week that was so incredibly sweet that it just kind of, it all kind of came together this morning in my quiet time and it just blew my mind and I have to share it with you. Um, At the beginning of this week, Luke asked me um, to explain to him the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree because it didn't have fruit on it. Because in his mind, it didn't make sense and I'm with him. And I told him, I said, Luke, I'm going to have to study that out a little bit before I can answer you. And so I did, okay? And so I, you guys know I use Logos, and so here's how Logos works, because you, you got to understand this for all this to make sense, is when I went in there, I pulled it, uh, to pull it up, I said, Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And so it pulls it up, and the very first verse in the, my reading pane is verse 12. And so I start at verse 12, okay? So let's, let's, we're going to look at that. But if you're looking at this today on your phone, or if you have the Bible in front of you, here's what I want you to do. Because I didn't do this, because I was interested in, in, starting with verse 12. But if I would have just scrolled down that pane just a little bit, this is Mark's account, and you're going to recognize this. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the field, a.k.a. palm branches. And this is Palm Sunday. Those who went ahead of those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And after looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay? So this is the story that Leah shared with us this morning. This is the story that is appropriate for Palm Sunday. So Jesus comes in. We've talked about that this morning. And after this triumphal entry um, uh, um, into Jerusalem, and this was common practice, he would go into Jerusalem and then they would go out to Bethany to spend the night. And then the next day they would go in. Okay, I did not plan for this, but I discovered it this morning because I I use um, an app called Dwell app and it reads scripture to you and I enjoy doing that through the day, but it has a verse of the day and so it's just kind of been my practice for a while to open that up in in a paper format and read it and and journal and, and Pray about what the Lord's saying. So this morning I open it up, and it's Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 1. And I thought, Mark 11, why why is that ringing a bell? And I open it up, and it's the story of the triumphal entry. And I was like, of course it is. It's Palm Sunday. Why would they not have that? And so I'm reading it. And as I read it, I get to verse 11, and then I see verse 12. And the Lord said, hey, Will, let me get your attention real quick. 
Let's read starting in verse 12. It said, the next day, okay, we just had the triumphal entry. The next day when he went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went out to find it if there was anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, no one, uh, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, there's something important we need to understand about fig trees, okay? You know this, but you haven't thought about it, because I had not thought about it in this story. Figs don't magically appear one day as a ripe fruit, do they? No, that's not how fruit works. It begins as a small little thing, and it grows until it's ripe and it's ready. And so when the scripture is saying that it wasn't season for the figs, it was saying that it's not the ripe part of the season, but it was a common practice to eat figs before they were ripe. And so if there are leaves on the tree, there is premature fruit on that tree. And it was commonplace for them to eat that. And so when Jesus sees a fig tree in full leaf, and he gets there and there's no premature fruit on it, that is why he curses it. Because there should have been fruit on that tree. Even if it wasn't ripe yet, there should have still have been food on that tree. Okay? So he sees this tree from the distance it looked healthy, but when he, and when he examines it closely, it's fruitless. Now let's continue on in Mark chapter 11. So they came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? The chief priests and scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Remember, I just told you they would do that. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots up. And then Jesus remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Look, Jesus is making a direct comparison in these passages. He sees a healthy-looking fig tree with no fruit. And then he sees this temple that appears to be full of life. And it is fruitless. And he is, one of the, the commentaries I, I read this week talked about that this is a living parable. That this was Jesus making um, the, the, the truth of the gospel clear to them. If the church isn't daily choosing to live in the truth, we will not produce fruit either. Hear me say that, church. Because this is a word for us. If we just appear to be walking the Christian life and appear to do the things that we are supposed to do as believers, we will be as fruitless as a fig tree with no fruit or as fruitless as the temple was, full of activity but bearing no fruit. Next week is Easter Sunday and we're going to celebrate together the truth that Jesus died as a final sacrifice for our sins. This is the greatest news that has ever been told. And so as we are approaching that, my challenge that the Lord has given me and he's giving to you is for us to examine our hearts, to examine our lives and to ask, are we fruitless? Do we appear to be healthy yet have no fruit in us because we are relying on our own strength, our own abilities instead of that of the Holy Spirit? 
Look, we, we just read about these people that are, are praising Jesus, that are taking off their coats and laying them on the ground. Think of every Disney movie you've ever seen where a princess arrives, they roll out the red carpet. That's what's going on. They're laying out their garments. They are paving the way. They're waving their palm branches. They're saying, glory to God, Hosanna in the highest. The Messiah, the promised heir of the kingdom of David is arrived. And in just a few short days, they will call for his crucifixion. The very ones that praised him today are going to ignore him or deny him when things get difficult later in this week. This is the greatest news that's ever proclaimed. And I know that if I ask anyone in this room if they agreed with that, they would say absolutely yes. I don't think there's anybody here who wouldn't say that Christ's death on the cross isn't the best news ever. The warning from the author of Hebrews and from Jesus is the same. We need to live like we believe what we say we believe. We cannot say that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that His death on the cross to save us of our sins, that His shed blood washes us clean. We cannot say that that is the greatest truth ever and then ignore His call to share that truth. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this challenge? How do we, how do we live life in such a way that the things that we say that we believe actually come out of us? I would say there's two things that are really important. There's two ways that we can respond to this. First, we give all of our attention to Christ. We give it all to Him. I was reading a book this week, and and I felt like the Lord um, told me I needed to start journaling again. I used to. You guys can see I carried it up here because I've been writing in it all week, and it's been fantastic. It used to be a habit of mine. But I got out of it because I like things that are digital. And for a little while, I took, I took notes on my iPad. And then I transitioned to just typing a few things in Logos. And then it transitioned to not doing anything at all. But the Lord said, Will, you need to start journaling again. And so I have. And it has been incredible. This morning, as Leah's calling for testimony, I'm flipping through my notes. And there are so many things that I want to share. But today is not the day and now is not the time. But this week, this journal for me, has allowed me to have a focus that I have not had in a long time. We've got to give our attention to Christ every day, spending time with God and being purposeful about how we spend that time. The Lord has spoken to me so much about that over the last two weeks, about being purposeful about the time that I spend with Him. So number one, we give our attention to Christ. And number two, you live in light of the truth. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that phrase is, What you read in Scripture, as truth is revealed to you, you make application in your life that day. As the Lord speaks, you don't think, yes, that is a goal I want to get to one day. You say, Jesus, how do I do this right now, today? What are you speaking for this moment? So I think if we're we're honest with ourselves, all of us want the people in our lives to know what we know of Christ. We want others to know the beauty that comes through a relationship with Him. There's not a knowledge problem in us. We know Christ. We know Him well. We know Him personally. We know Him, um, uh, what's the word that we always say? We know Him by experience, right? All of us have, have grown up in this culture, though, that places ourselves in the place of priority in our lives. And Leah was speaking that this morning. 
that we have grown up in such a way that, that life is about us. And so we've got to allow the Scripture as we are reading it, as we are studying it, to change our hearts and our minds to put Jesus in that place of priority. This was in one of my devotions Wednesday, and, and the author here is talking about Jesus praying in the garden right before he's taken into custody. That's the, the premise that this was written. I think this was Blackaby. It says it up here on the screen. It says, you may have to leave the comfort of your bed or your home. You may even have to sacrifice your safety in order to be where Jesus is. Seek to bring every physical desire under control of the Holy Spirit so that nothing will impede your accomplishing what Jesus asks of you. Church, in order to be who God's called us to be, we can't be the priority in our lives. What we want out of life, what we want out of our career, what we want out of our relationships, what we want out of anything, it's got to be centered around Jesus. If it's not centered around Jesus, it's centered around us. I read this book this week that has absolutely rocked my world. If you want a book that will make you cry like a baby while you're driving down the interstate, I got one for you, okay? Because this is personal testimony, okay? The name of the book is um, Something Needs to Change by David Platt. And in this book, he tells the story of this young man, Aaron, that had visited his church a few times and he had spoken to him. And one day he asked Aaron to come by and meet with him because the Lord was, was pointing out something in Aaron, uh, something about Aaron's life that David needed to inquire about. And so as they began to talk, he found out that Aaron was a, a missionary in the Himalayan mountains. And as Aaron was sharing the mission that God had given him for that area, David knew that God was calling him to join him on a trip. And so Aaron, uh, uh, David and a few of his friends uh, go with Aaron and, and they prepared months in advance. They did CrossFit and they did miles and miles and miles on incline treadmills to prepare their bodies for this trek. And so they go on this, this trek and, and they are eyewitness to um, a level of extreme poverty that he had never experienced before. And David has been all over the world. He's, I don't know if he still is, but he was the director of IMB for a lot of years. Or at least four. So, I mean, this is not a guy who's never seen difficult places in the world. But he had never seen anything like that. He had never seen suffering. He tells the story of the first person that they encounter. There's this gaping hole in his face because he had gotten an eye infection and there was no access to medicine. And his face was being overtaken by infection, was rotting away. He also tells a story of, of all these young women that are kidnapped. We won't get into the reason why, but you know. Listen, church, I, I was broken by the stories that I heard in that church. But what David says at the end of the book is what we already know, is that those same kind of conditions exist right here in central Louisiana. But often we have so much emphasis on our own lives and our own security and our own well-being, and the list can go on and on and on, that we're blinded to what's going on around us. If we as a body will give our attention to Jesus every day, throughout the day, if he is our focus, we're going to see the world as he sees it. And I know what you're thinking. Because I think it. I don't want to see it. I like being blind because it makes my life easy and comfortable. But church, here's the danger. The danger is, is that we stand in here on a Sunday morning singing Hosanna to God. And then in just a few days when life gets difficult, we're ignoring 
just like those same people in our scripture today did. If we're willing to apply the truth that Jesus speaks in our lives, we're going to be empowered by him to meet the needs that he reveals to us. I mean, it's such a simple, obvious thing, and we often miss it because we think if I see those things, then I have to do something about it, and I'm not equipped to do that. In church, God hasn't asked you to be equipped. He's asked you to just be the church. He's the equipper, not us. The warning to the Hebrews is one for us as well. Remember where we started. He's saying, don't forget the things that you have seen and heard. Don't allow that temptation to allow you to drift away. Church, when we put our blinders on and life becomes about us, the temptation that we face is that the world becomes about us. And the author of Hebrews is reminding the church, he's encouraging the church, he is giving the church a warning that we cannot drift away. And we all experience that same temptation to focus on ourselves, but the cost, church, is too high for us to ignore. You know, as Leah was sharing this morning about um, the things that the Lord had spoken to her this week, you know, we met Tuesday for lunch, she and David and I, and we were talking about these songs that she felt like the Lord was speaking. And I love that she said that God changed all that, and it was going to direct the way that we worship this morning, because... At the beginning of the week, I'm thinking the same thing she is. It's Palm Sunday. We're going to celebrate, right? But that's not the word that the Lord had for us today. And I, I point that out because I want you guys to see the activity of the Lord. Because we didn't talk about what kind of music we were going to do. We didn't talk about a message. The Lord orchestrated every bit of that so that we could hear from Him today, church. This is not a message from Will because I want to make you feel guilty about something. If you're feeling guilty, you need to let the Lord deal with that, okay? This is a message from God for each of us, and by each of us, I'm number one in that position because the Lord's been talking about this to me personally all week this week. But church, there's an obvious solution, okay? That's where we started with today. We need to look at the obvious. The obvious thing is, is that we live in light of the truth. We spend time with the Lord. We allow Him to speak into our lives and then we obey what He's telling us to do. I want us to read this psalm together this morning and then we're going to close in prayer. I'll, feed, I'll read verse 9, but let's all read verse 10 and 11 together. Okay? Verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. And then read verse 10 and 11 with me. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we um, close in worship, God, I ask that you would draw each and every one of our hearts to you, Father. God, as we are spending time with you this week, I ask that you would draw our hearts closer and closer and closer into you, Father, and that our motivation for anything and everything in life would be a love for you. Father, it is not your desire today to make us feel guilty and walk out of here motivated by guilt. Father, that is not the purpose of your word. That was the purpose of the law, but we live under your grace. So, Father, as we worship this morning, as we close out with these last songs, 
Father, motivate us by your love, by the fact that we feel your grace. That we know the love that you have, not only for us, but for the, for the thousands and millions of brothers and sisters that are around us. Father, burden our hearts as your hearts. Your heart is burdened for the lost. Father, as we spend a week contemplating your death on a cross, Father, give us fresh eyes for the hurting around us. Give us a desire motivated by you to meet the needs that you're calling us to meet. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to sing in a minute.